Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Welcome to Have You Seen This? I'm Tim Heiderich. And I'm Jennifer Albright. And for this episode, we have Connor Lestoka, writer and producer for Rift Tracks and co-host of the 372 Pages podcast, where they read books they don't expect to like. Welcome, Connor. Hey, you two. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you for coming out to my show in San Francisco, Tim. And uh, I'm happy to return the favor uh, appearing here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, big... um. Uh, big ups to Tim for buttonholing uh, Connor and also Bill Corbett and being like, come on our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it it was, yeah. I chased Bill into the men's room and I cornered him and said, come on our show. And wow, no, it, the full uh, the full John Edwards uh, treatment when he was cornered by a, by a media member who had you know caught him uh, like leaving his mistress's uh, motel or something. It oh. was when Bill burst into tears that Tim knew he had him in the bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we are covering uh, for this episode a, I guess, a, a shared, um, I don't want to say shared interest, a, a shared trauma <laughs> of the uh, the James Wen um, uh, collection of, of films. Yeah, the uh, Wynn Cinematic Universe. Yes, <laughs> the Winniverse. Uh, the oeuvre. Yeah, and, and considering that uh, Connor is from... Um, uh, is from Riff Tracks, and that's you know related to Mystery Science Theater. I don't know if we have to do the like MST3K quote swear jar for this episode. Because, oh yeah, that's um that's our that's our rule for the podcast. Because if we are allowed to do so, we will do nothing but quote Mystery Science Theater and Riff Tracks. All right. Riffs, um, <laughs> which uh, you know, we should probably be writing our own jokes. Right. Yeah, <laughs> well, what can you I do? I have the same yeah. problem with The Simpsons. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 kind of a common problem. Um, but, um, you know, so everybody get your little label jar and your, you know, your singles. Um, but before we do that, um, I just really want to quickly shout out a new uh, patron for the podcast. Um, that is at CDSID on Twitter. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, you can join CDSID and a bunch of other cool people if you go over to patreon.com slash have you seen this and you can get access to all our bonus content for only $2 a month. Great. Sid, I'm here to help you uh, instantly regret that decision. <laughs> <laughs> here comes the bang for your buck. <laughs> I first um, found out about Birdemic through uh, Rift Tracks and I think it was Jen that set me, sent me down to watch it. And I remember just immediately being just offended to my core as a uh, a nascent filmmaker, just from the opening titles of this alone, just the sheer ineptitude I, that went into it. I have such a clear memory of that because I remember like kind of laughing in disbelief as we started the riff tracks because there isn't like a single level shot in the entire dull credit sequence. Um, the entire twenty twenty minute credit sequence, I think, is the uh, the full way to describe that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A man's real time commute to uh, from one uh, exurb of San Francisco to another. Yeah, and you realize that um, you're like, oh, this is 
completely amateur. This this has no association with any kind of like professional crew, you know. So I'm making that observation. Meanwhile, Tim has steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> yeah, just that someone didn't put in like the basic effort of I don't know of of maybe practicing or trying things out before deciding to shoot a feature. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's to me the Birdemic is one of those movies we found it I think fairly early on. I, I'm you know no claims that we discovered it at Rift Tracks, but it was a it was a different internet back then. I feel like and things didn't travel as quickly. So we were watching it and there was still the question of you know is this real or not? Is this a is this a troll uh, type of thing? I, I don't know why someone would do that, but. You sort of you 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 see the the images that traveled well were the images of them you know waving coat hangers at birds and people see that um, little thirty second clip and imagine this cannot be real but um, the 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 magic of Birdemic um, really lies in the in the first half of it where there aren't any bird attacks there aren't any coat <laughs> hangers there aren't any uh, bad computer animations you just have these sort of people going about there. Uh, lives that are both mundane and yet extraordinary in terms of what these these idiots are accomplishing, and I think it really takes that whole picture to understand uh, where the director's coming from, um, and that these these actors showed up and and thought that they, you know, if I was acting on this movie, I would not expect uh, it to look the way it does when you turn it around. I'd expect it to look like an actual movie, and I think they just uh, they did these performances and turned around, and it looked like your dad with a Betamax strapped to his back and shot the whole thing. <laughs> Well, as I discovered when looking up uh, interviews with the filmmaker, he believes that he is working in a genre that he refers to as romantic thriller. I'm not sure if he thinks he coined this mm-hmm. or not. I... Um, and we're going to um, we're going to kind of um, uh, demonstrate for the listener that um, you know this is uh, like he he basically mo- he basically just keeps making the same movie over and over again. So to that end, we're going to be talking about you know not just Birdemic but also the earlier um, replica and uh, his first feature, Julian Jack. But this romantic thriller framing means that um, he has an incredibly dull frame romantic story, and then kind of the what he believes is a thriller kind of a narrative. I mean, they're not thrilling, but that's what he believes that he is making. Right. Yeah. And, and really we can save time by reviewing the movies all at once because we can just distill them down into saying it's about a bland charisma free salesman with a horny friend Mm -hmm. whose life turns around after he meets this unicorn blonde woman. uh, And also someone has an obese mother. (laughs) Oh it's, yeah, they're all they're always blondes because of Hitchcock blondes because uh, James Nguyen absolutely loves Hitchcock. Yeah, it's so his his movies interpret you know obviously Birdemic is the birds, but they interpret a different Hitchcock movie uh, replicas is Vertigo, and I guess I'm not really sure what Julian Jack was, but it it, it does it's something. <laughs> most people aren't. Yeah, it, it does alarm you in the fact that he he does appear to have seen other movies. That are are directed by you know competent uh, masterful film directors. So it, it 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 does make you sort of wonder what he thought he was was doing here because it would be much easier to understand if if the man had had just sort of uh, woken up from a thirty year coma and had never seen a movie before. <laughs> like uh, you know this he I guess he thought it was just uh, it easy it was easier than it looks to make uh, to make something that was a, a Hitchcockian thriller. That really sums it up. Yeah. It's so funny because I just imagine him reading and rereading uh, Hitchcock Truffaut and just learning nothing, but yeah, just reading it, it with such 
enthusiasm that, and you know really believing that he's absorbing the the mess but it's it, he has no like i mean he has an artistic vision but it's such a it's such an outsider vision it's it's really something and he seems to get in um you know, looking at kind of like the trajectory of his films from Julian Jack to Replica to Birdemic, it's like he actually gets, I would argue, worse with each movie, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is really something. I mean, most people, um, you know, even uh, artists who are not, who don't have like a protean talent, um, they usually get better at their art form simply by grinding away at it. But that's not the case with, with James Nguyen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. And especially if you consider, I mean, we don't have to spend much time on it, but he did make a, a fourth movie, which was Birdemic 2, which, you know, the little lesser said about it, the better, because that was when he sort of, he sort of, uh, you know, Birdemic got so much attention online that it, he sort mm -hmm. of leaned into it um, with a lot of the same actors. And so, you know, who, um, you know, fooled them twice, like that was not going to happen. They knew what they were doing this time around. So everyone is sort of winking at the camera and, uh, it, you know, so that is, that is by it's, far his, his worst movie. Um, but you know, not in, not in, a, not in the same way that makes the other ones so great. It's kind of like Tommy Wiseau's second outing where he, again, he kind of leans into it with, what was the other one called? Like neighbors or something mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be a comedy, except it's not funny. Like the room is funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's been sort of a you know a blessing and a curse to have done, um, you know, riff tracks of these that that became you know popular things that we were notable for because then uh, throughout all of you know the anything else Tommy Wiseau does you know the neighbors uh, you know he made a video where he was the Joker uh, he made it yeah. in Samurai Cop too people are like did you see this and we're like we don't care anymore like the uh, the <laughs> you know the the, the the you know the chariot has turned back into a pumpkin as far as we were concerned like you can't. Uh, yeah, it's it's no fun if they're in on it. Yeah, yeah, it's like you can't make fun of a comedy so, so much. Like it's, it's it's they're kind of it's kind of already there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I a think bummer. that's. Um, I think that um, and you know to dip into a little bit of MST lore, I think that was um what initially confounded the writers when they uh, took on a comedy um, early. Like I think it was second season Mystery Science Theater, um, Catalina Caper, because the movie attempts comedy but it falls absolutely flat and it was kind of like how do we even write jokes about it and they they managed to carry it off but um like that's really more difficult than um kind of poking fun at something which is deadly earnest which is the case with uh you know the room and um certainly james nguyen's like first three films yeah, so yeah. what we like about Birdemic is, you know, the the bits about uh, stock options and Ferraris and, and global warming and all that stuff. And in the second movie, it was just, you know, more uh, exploding birds and a, a terrible jellyfish animation. So it was he didn't uh, he <laughs> he he missed the point of what made his own films uh, appealing to us. So, yeah, because uh, touching on that, um, like you said, the first half of the movie has nothing to do with a Birdemic whatsoever. It is all. Uh, the um, uh, the wish fulfillment, I guess, of a bland salesman who finds love in his life and finds success and finds stock options, which apparently are just the the knee plus ultra of of success as a salesman <laughs> to get company stock options. Which it's so it's so hilarious what James Nguyen seems to think is the absolute pinnacle of living. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the it's the line about um, Donald Trump being the you know the eight year old's 
vision of a of the rich and powerful guy. It's it's very much that is James Wynn's, uh, you know, uh, buying a Ferrari as soon as you get your first million. That type of thing is very much what a uh, that my my fellow fourth graders would be interested in doing if they had if they had won, <laughs> inherited a bunch of money very quickly. No, I say yeah. Does show like. Overall, there's a shallow understanding of all the topics that James Dwan is is touching on about wealth and success and environmental issues and Mm -hmm. even like his approach to Hitchcock movies. It's like, well, this one had birds. I'm going to do a movie with birds in it. Uh, Hitchcock liked blondes. I'm going to put blondes in my movie. But it doesn't seem it's kind of it's missing the uh, it's missing the forest for the uh, spruce bark beetle infested trees, I want to (laughs) say. I don't know if it's like a hack to talk about. Hitchcock at this point, but, you know, um, whether you like him or not, or if you're bored of hearing about him, um, there's such a rich wealth of material to discuss in his films. And something which just occurred to me, um, kind of one of the really interesting things about Hitchcock, once you get beyond, like, the simple level of just, like, enjoying the thriller, um, is the incredibly bizarre psychosexual themes in his movies. And... You don't get that in a Nguyen film because um, as just as Connor says that, um, you know, he has like a a cartoonish, like, you know, um, eight year old Trumpian idea of success. He also has this really weird conception of uh, romance and like sexuality, which is is so bland as to almost. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's so bland as to almost defy description. But um, I think it would be funny if one of you guys maybe took a crack at describing exactly how romance plays out in his movies. Uh, I mean, you know, it's the uh, it's essentially a kid uh, coming back from 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 summer camp and describing his Canadian girlfriend. That's what they all are. It's, a, <laughs> it's very much the the work of a director who wants you to to truly believe that he has uh, you know had sex and knows yeah, entirely what that's like. And and I think nothing sums that up better than the uh, than the the Winnie and trope of the horny friend, uh, as Tim mentioned earlier, which you have in. Uh, in Birdemic, Rod has a buddy who works with him at uh, NTT Software. I'm sorry, maybe it's before he founds NTT Software. It's been a while. They have they play yeah. basketball and they bro down uh, about uh, you know hot chicks and whether he's going to ask him out. And then when we were watched Julie and Jack for the first time, we were so delighted that that pretty much a uh, you know it could have been the the guy who auditioned for that same role and and got you know was was the second best is the <laughs> is also the horny friend of this guy who is like. I think he might be his roommate even, but, you know, he's he's shown, I believe, having sex with someone. He walks around in his bathrobe afterwards. He makes the same sort of dumb faces. He, he you know, presses the guy for details about his dates he goes on, but it's, it's He very- seems like a guy who really loves Tucker Max, like, unironically. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a, you know, a, a user of thechive.com. Uh, but it's a uh, it's 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 a hundred percent. I put a Bill Murray sticker on my hot Ferrari. <laughs> but it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a you know turn of the millennium sort of maxim uh, reading dude uh, that that James <laughs> Wynn thinks is is you know all uh, what all guys are like. Yeah, I don't, yeah, and there's I, a weird dichotomy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Tim, I interrupted you, but um, there's a weird there's a really specific dichotomy. Um, between like types of men in the Nguyen verse is like um, when it comes to like young guys, it's like you're either like just the broiest bro that ever broed, or you're a really sincere, hardworking salesman, and there's no there's no um, mixing or gray areas whatsoever. It's hard to describe, but 
The way that it works, as far as I'm concerned, is that, you know, if you look up what James Wynn did before this, I don't think it will surprise anybody that I, I'm pretty sure he was a software salesman himself. And uh, so <laughs> you don't say the hell you say what must have. I mean, so that's, you know, all his all his locations, I think, are probably places he used to work. But then uh, there has to have been someone, you know, in his office because, you know, James Wynn is in Replica. He has cameos in Replica and Julian Jack, and they're terrible. I mean, he's. He has no business being in front of the camera, but you just imagine him being sort of or like behind, a behind. I mean, <laughs> right? True. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in the vicinity, or you know, or, you know, looking at a camera. But he uh, We've introduced I, legislation banning him from coming within five hundred feet yes, of the Best Buy or B and H photo video. It would work for all of us. But I think there was someone in his past <laughs> at one of these jobs that would come in on the weekends and and sort of corner him by the coffee machine and be like, "Hey, James, you know, like." You uh, don't tell anyone, but guess who? Uh, guess who got a little action this weekend? And so, you know, I'm, that just there has to have been some sort of scenario like that in his past that led him to believe that that is how uh, male interactions go. Just Rose to besmirch in all Valley, the hell you say? Yeah, just to besmirch all salesmen everywhere. I'm like, yeah, I can totally buy that. Yeah, it's as, uh, as yeah. just being a sense of what the what the maturity level is. Yeah. There's, um, no, well, there's, there's no deeper text here. You have to uh, you have to think about what the most obvious thing that could have happened was, and that's going to be the answer. The well, other- it's also like a really like um, a really ham handed kind of moralizing, where it's like, yeah, like he puts in the bro as like a funny character, but you know his um, his point of view is like deprecated. It's like, no, obviously the way that you treat women is like this absurd cliche of you know dating and romance it's right. like you it's like yeah you like hit on her pretty aggressively in public but you know then you take her on a date you bring her flowers you know you treat her to a nice meal and you don't fuck her on the first date you know <laughs> yeah. you wait a couple of dates and then you take her to a days in you put on your sexiest tank top and she puts on a bikini and then you get down to it. Always now, a bikini. That's a real man. Yeah, always yes. a bikini too, because James Wen is not ponying up to pay these actresses, and they are for sure at least smart enough to be like, well, if I'm not getting paid for this, I'm not getting, and you're not getting any nudity from me. Yeah, that is the uh, yeah. yeah, that's the only good judgment that any of these people have ever ex- exhibited when on set of a James Wen film. Well, and um, Hitchcock didn't really do. Um, well, that's not true. I mean, he did overt nudity and frenzy. Um, I believe there were some flashes of it in Psycho, but I feel as though he would feel as though he were betraying his um, his god Hitchcock. You, if you were put putting a titties. lot more thought into this, I think, than James Wynn did. The other thing, though, is <laughs> that's why that, we have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is um, James Wynn uh, doing cameos in his own movies is a lot is another Hitchcock thing too. So I imagine in some way he's thinking, if I do all the things Hitchcock did, I must be as good as Hitchcock. Yeah. So oh, yeah. that's that's why he's like hitting all the notes, but like kind of missing the the. But he doesn't understand the tune. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. So there's these like uh, I, I forget what they're called. I don't know if they're predictive text algorithms or something better than that. Deep learning machines, and so people. People who listen to 372 pages will often take these terrible books we've read that are, you know, very similar sometimes the authors to James Wynn in terms of people who have no business writing books. They'll feed them yeah. into these 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 algorithms, and it's sort of like um, th- this is what you get. You have this this person who is able to comprehend about you know 85 percent of of you know human interaction and and what makes a, an artist great, and then they are trying to to replicate that, and uh, it, it it just it's, brute you know, force it. It doesn't pass the Turing test at some point in time. The other thing that I want to mention about uh, Jen's um, 
Jen's topic of the uh, duality of male sexuality as represented in the <laughs> one verse is uh, this kind of harkens back to the um, uh, who is it um, the are this is it Tucker and Dale the two protagonists from Trucking Through Time. Okay, sure. Uh, Chad and Dale, yes. Chad and Dale, thank you. Yeah, and that one <laughs> of them is very, you know, uh, he has his, uh, you know, sincere love for for his wife, and then the other one is the guy who gets to to go out and and gallivant with. Um, That's yeah, true. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is. So. It's 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 both sides of the coin. There are they're the only two ways that that men um, have ever interacted with women, as as represented by Chad and Dale in Trucking Chad, Time. <laughs> Chad and Dale, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's like pressing in for details, and he's like, "No, I respect Miss Marie too much for you to." Uh, to reveal that to you, but it's yeah, it's uh, that is the same way. I guess it's a very again a third grader the way that they think that uh, that boys and girls interact with each other. Yeah, yeah, it's either it's either uh, fucked right in the pussy or milady. Yeah. There's like no There's no middle ground. Yeah, and, yeah, and that that third level, uh, that third grade level reading is can be applied not just to relationships, but you know, the stuff we touched on earlier, where it's like, hey, hey, um, third grader, what's the best car? A Ferrari. Hey, how how rich is a rich person uh, to have a million dollars? What's the, what's the uh, like, the sexiest lingerie outlet? Uh, Victoria's Secret. And just on and on and on. Just everything, which is, what is the most, like, blatant, obvious, simplistic version of success? And just, like, every... The James one just seems to hit all of these as one defining these characters. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah like um, like Natalie and Burdemic, like becoming a Victoria's Secret model, which is of course like the absolute pinnacle of female success. Mm-hmm. Um, seemingly minutes after she's just modeled in a strip mall. Yes, she got uh, a few <laughs> headshots taken in a kimono, and so of course Victoria's Secret came a call and. <laughs> and I understand that, you know, um, a lot of times, low, you know, low budget filmmaking is working with the resources that you have, but seeing what Nguyen deems as acceptable for his, uh, let's say it's, his it, mise-en-scene is like, dude, come on. It's really, it's, <laughs> it's asking the audience to share the same level of delusion as the director. <laughs> <laughs> to say, like, yes, I went from... Uh, taking headshots in a strip mall to the cover girl of Victoria's Secret, and yeah, that's that's just the way it is. I was working in a cubicle one day, and now I have, you know, my company got uh, sold to Oracle Corporation for a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that, yeah, that's another thing that we need to address is just the 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 poor diction on every uh, from every every actor in these movies, just flubbing lines, not enunciating. It, it they took call me... him one take Nguyen. Yeah, yet, took... he brought people back. He he has a uh, he has his own uh, you know stable like you know like how you know Wes Anderson brings back the same you know Jason Schwartzman and Tilda Swinton and Bill Murray and you know uh, Orson Welles had his players. James Wynn just you know has has people like Natalie's mom and the Doctor and uh, all those people <laughs> yeah, just show would, up again um... and again. It's incredible. I would compare him to John Waters in that respect. <laughs> Like uh, Natalie's mom is real is uh, his egg lady in a way. <laughs> Take your word on yeah. that. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's too mean, but <laughs> well, well, she well Natalie's mom has a has a striking physical presence. Yes, and, you know that's what you want yeah. in a, in a good actress. You know, a good screen presence, <laughs> someone who commands attention, and just having a 
morbidly obese um, woman who can't act at cast as the mother is a good way to, to get people's attention. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it was it, it, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else you could do, but you do have a very, you know, attractive young lady playing Natalie and then to just sort of walk that in there is it, it just it, it takes you as much as you were in the moment of Birdemic, it sort of takes you right out of that. <laughs> um, she seems like she had Natalie when she was like 47 years old, too. Yes, that is also a very, very good point. I don't it's, know. It's just wild. I don't know if um, it was something that Riff Tracks pointed out or something that, uh, Jen, that you and I came to realize. But it's, but I mean, Rod um, getting involved with, with Natalie, it's like Natalie's mom is her future. So does Rod know what he's getting into? Rod does not know. I'll just answer you there. Rod has no idea what he's getting into. Rod okay. is. Rod just has one of those uh, monkeys banging two symbols together in his head at all times. <laughs> it's yeah, that, Rod that is that he can like put something... one foot in front of the other is pretty impressive. He yeah, couldn't Rod really is... do that. He was very bad at doing that. <laughs> he managed to Rod... make walking look tricky. Yeah, Rod is like something out of like a a Far Side cartoon, just like two amoeba. Stimulus response, stimulus yeah. response. Yep. You know, he's the like, kid pushing on the Midvale school door, uh, but he's not. <laughs> he's never going to realize why. That guy was not in the gifted and talented program. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe gifted is a is a euphemism. Mm-hmm. But he's he's, <laughs> he's exceptional. That's what they call it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Rod just making walking look difficult, um, and his his complete lack of charisma, or even that when people talk to him that it registers, and he understands what the other person is saying, I, I have Again, trouble big understanding. Assumption, big assumption yeah. there that he is registering anything. He's... <laughs> If we want to be really vicious, which, um, you know, I love, I think I missed my calling and uh, writing for uh, Joan Rivers, a fashion police type show on E. But Mm. um, if we really wanted to be mean, we could rank um, the male and female protagonists of Julian Jack Replica and Birdemic. Um, I don't remember any uh, any actors names. Maybe that's for the best. Um, Well. Well, if anything, the the lead actor, as as pointed out by Riff Tracks, the lead actor from Julian Jack did not act anymore after that. So, to the call lead him actor, actor or actress? Ac- actor. The the actor guy. is yeah. The actor is terrible in that. I would say he's uh, he's at the bottom of the list. Below, I say below below Rod. Uh, just a charisma charisma free dullard. Uh, top of the in list for me of, is yeah. uh, Natalie from Brudemic. She's she's a uh, a nice person. I've met her in person, uh, and has gone on to actually, you know, do things and you know, uh, you know, d- display charisma on screen. And uh, so she's at the top. And you know, Julie is she was kind of annoying, I would say, but she's I'd say she she has the ability to um, probably work better with better material. Uh, well, she's and- gone on to like some uh, like. Christian films or something. Yeah, and she, she I had can't a, speak to her output, but yeah. Um, and then I'll be honest. The, who who was the the guy in Replica? Which one was he? I don't remember um, him at all. He was just kind of a generic bro. And um, in terms of physicality, with um, uh, Al, what's his name? Alan Baugh. Alan Baugh is Bog? the uh, the guy Bog? from uh, yeah. Thank you <laughs> from Birdemic, um, who is a complete charisma vacuum. Um, to um, what's his name from Julian Jack, who's also a charisma vacuum, but is um, you know is at least tall and handsome in a pretty vacant way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think the the replica guy falls like just exactly in the middle, just like broy, not particularly interesting um, as a face or as an actor. Yeah, they finally combined those two aspects of the the male lead into the <laughs> the the bland guy and the uh, broy guy. So they got a bland bro out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um. In terms of the actresses, like kind of a wild tidbit about uh, Whitney Moore who played Natalie. Um, I hadn't realized that she was one of the the women who came forward to accuse Max Landis of sexual assault. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Well, um, she she actually wrote a long thing. Um, I think she put it on her Instagram account, and she didn't go into detail about exactly what he did to her, but it was, um, I think she just basically said, like, you know, just horrible, disgusting things, which, you know, knowing what we know about um, the younger just, Landis doesn't surprise me. It's so, just but, another, you know, yeah, weekend at Max Landis's place. Yeah, like uh, I, I wish, I wish her healing and success going forward. Let me put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what Connor said about the uh, lead actress from Julian Jack um, doing the best uh, as she could with the material that she was given—that definitely seems like a consistent theme with a lot of the actors in James Wan movies. Is that some of them do seem like they could act, but if it's mm-hmm. kind of like it's um it's it's you and me and the director with his camera in the uh in like the in the the park you know in like the rose garden in in San Francisco and it's like all right just go like you don't have any time to rehearse and we aren't going to do any more setups but just act in front of the camera just act then that is going to that's got to be difficult for an, an actor even a skilled one to just kind of show mm-hmm. up and do whatever so it feels oh, like yeah. you know it's the way you know if a if a good director you know puts you into the, the the mindset you need to be in or makes you feel at ease I am I can almost certainly say that James Wynn does none of those things and almost you know makes you feel like like he's like holding a a vicious snarling dog off camera to make you feel as un at ease as possible so um. he's the uh, he's the George Lucas of Z grade film directors yeah that would just you know, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like no, I like no understanding of how to elicit a performance at all. And yeah, um, just, I don't think well, we we I don't think we mentioned the the female lead from Replica, but I think she's the female version of Alan Baugh, just like an absolute like nothing on screen. Yeah. <laughs> just like she offers, <laughs> she brings nothing to the part. Like not a, no no interesting physicality, like no acting skills whatsoever. She really just seems like a girl that you knew from high school who was like the hot chick uh when you knew her and uh, then the hot the chick's reunion. friend maybe. Well you see her at the reunion like, you know, ten years later and you're like, oh damn, like you did nothing with your life, did you? <laughs> Yeah, it's a. It sort of makes you wonder. I mean, obviously he's got his stable of other actors, but uh, just whether he, you know, just took the first person who walked through the door, whether there were auditions for this type of thing. But you know, some of the people he settled on, or it, it boggles the mind. Well, I, I did th- do a little bit of. Um, I did some. Uh, let's call it oppo research on James Nguyen, and um, his uh, his his general practice in um, you know casting and production does not strike me as the most most ethical. I mean. You know, it's one. It's perfectly fine to like cast projects on Craigslist, but apparently he's been banned from at least one um, San Francisco oh, wow. <laughs> area casting website because, like, he just does not fucking pay people. Wow. Yeah. 
So and in really- fact, one of the one of the women who acted in Birdemic as a um, a victim of the birds, uh, she has she has like an entire website up, like de- detailing like exactly how he ripped her and all the other actors off. And I got to say, too, that woman herself is not a good actress, although maybe it was the material she had to work with. But it was. Um, yeah, when- take that, Tippy Hedren. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they just weren't expecting to get paid in stock options and they should all shut up and stop whining. So, I mean, those those stock options will be valuable someday. <laughs> it's going to be profitable any day now. <laughs> now, um, uh, longtime listeners will recall that we discussed um, Tippy Hedren on our Roar episode. Connor, have you seen that one? Roar? Oh, yes. the uh, I, I saw the uh, the trailer when it when when they um, resurfaced it. I, I feel like it was offered to us. I don't know what the, but I never saw the whole thing. So it's 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 ill advised. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get a half a dozen actors and put him in a house with a half a dozen um, large cat apex predators, <laughs> <laughs> and and let's just see what happens. Right. Yeah, the the blood on the blood you see on the screen is real. Good lord, like, that's not even a fucking joke. Um, <laughs> now that was a passion project of uh, Tippy Hedren, and um, I think Tim and I uh, disagreed somewhat on on Tippy in regards to Roar because um, you know I um, I, I, I guess the a, question is which is which is the worst uh, career choice for Tippy Hedren, Roar or Birdemic or. Julian Jack. Jesus Christ. Well, I feel that, um, you know, because I caped for Tippy a little bit because I feel like she's kind of done her penance with her advocacy work for um, for uh, big cats and other animals. Um, she has a sanctuary where um, the treatment of the animals is 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 uh, very hands-off. Their space is respected. It's the complete opposite of Roar. Um, Tim, you know, which is fair, pointed out how, like, unethical the entire... Um, um, production was you know people were hurt uh Jan DeBont who was the cinematographer ha- literally had his scalp ripped off um <laughs> during the shooting um again you know Tim fair I will I will hand you that um but the connection to this episode is that somehow I don't and I don't fucking know how I would kill to, to hear the negotiations behind this Tibby Hedren made an appearance in Julian Jack um, definitely the best actor by far in probably any James Nguyen film. Well, ever. Yeah, she'd been cast in a feature film before, so already head and shoulders <laughs> above anyone else. Well, yeah, so we 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 did Birdemic. We did them in all crazy order, but Birdemic first, and you know, mm-hmm. I think Tippy Tippy Hedren is credited in that, but it's just a you you later realize it's a TV playing her appearance in Julian Jack. Yeah, just like, as Christopher Reeve appears in Replica, it's, right, yes. <laughs> it's archive footage that yeah. he does not fucking have permission to use. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, no, right. zero chance. And that does then kind of add an Inception angle to the, the Wenverse in that um, in Replica, um, uh, who is it? The the Replicant, uh, sorry, uh, spoilers. Uh, the, the, the girl who's replicated uh, gets cast in the movie Julian Jack. So... Is Julian Jack real or is it a movie? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know it's real anymore. Man, that is, yeah, that is way yeah, too. Uh, he he was hoping <laughs> that it was going to inspire, you know, thirty-minute uh, YouTube videos uh, picking up on clues he had left, but instead everyone just made fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, love like just just uh, like ten hours of. Tim's just like losing his mind and ranting, like yeah. to like I, I'll his, get my red his laptop out. camera, yeah, <laughs> about about James Nguyen films. Yes, yeah. 
Well, the best um, thing, I mean, my, my favorite story about the whole the whole process is just that, you know, the we, we got Birdemic and we we got the rights to that from from a Severin Films, I believe. And yes. they told us they they we knew about Julian Jack. I don't remember how long it took us to get that, but the guy at Severin had seen Replica and just said, Wynn does not want this released. Um, you know, it's amazing, but like he's embarrassed about it. And we were like, How bad is the bad film that he like didn't want out there to be and it took you know uh it took years but finally you know i i think after we did our live show james Wynn, you know wasn't happy about that or th- thought that he had not gotten his i don't know but so he yeah. he he was angry that he you know that we we did a live show even you know we we had all the rights obviously and from from the distributors and such but uh from him being angry he he then was able to our our marketing guy talked him into licensing replica to us to put out for the first time in the world. So it was like the uh, the world premiere of this this artifact that unfortunately you know isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> now I I, I got to ask though, did your marketing guy give him a fifty percent discount? I think that there was. <laughs> It was imp- it was impossible not to uh, not to crack jokes about the the fee and all that stuff during the whole time, but yeah, it was, was kind of wild that you guys paid ten million dollars for the was, rights to replica. But it was you crazy. Know, far be it from me to tell you guys what to do with your money. He's a master negotiator. That's uh, <laughs> I hand him that. That's the one thing he can do well. But congratulations uh, to to you and the guys on getting all your stock options vested. Um, I happy. hope you get that Ferrari Spider. Oh yeah, it's the uh, the, the the Ferraris being. Waxed and washed right now by my own uh, my own biff out in the driveway. <laughs> my absolute my absolute favorite line from any James Nguyen picture is Rod just saying flatly my, about his Mustang, which is a plug-in hybrid. It gets a hundred mpg. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for nice round numbers, as uh, right? I think uh-huh. Mike said. 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like it would be sick if you could get a pony car that would do like you know a hundred miles a gallon. Um, but I think it's a yeah. good illustration of uh, what I think I described off, um, you know, before we were recording is like the utter fatuousness of um, probably one of uh, Nguyen's biggest themes, which is um, his very deep passion about environmental destruction, which is laudable to a degree, but the way that he um, goes about um, um, providing solutions to it is ultimately very empty. Yeah, it's a guy who just betrays a lack of understanding about so many different uh, subjects, whether it's you know, romance or success or filmmaking. I mean, just <laughs> throw environmentalism on the pile, too, of just things that James Wynn doesn't really seem to like it doesn't seem able to articulate. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it it is the the when they leave the movie theater and then they they say that was a great movie an inconvenient <laughs> truth. That is, you know, to me that's like if he was in the bushes outside the movie theater and heard people leaving talking about it and was like he again had a uh, had a seventy five percent understanding of how humans work and uh, it sort of you know t- took what his takeaway from that conversation was and put it right up on the screen. I gotta put a dollar in the swear in the, the 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 quote jar because just the way that Mike says after that line and your guys rip riff, uh, yep, that's what we saw. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a normal way that people talk. Yeah, it's it's a um, master class in how you do exposition. Um, yeah, it was like yeah. you know when uh, Tim and I were walking out of the theater in Culver City um, a few months ago, and I was just like, wow, that was a good movie. Gastronoy's climax. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of similar themes too. So, <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, it, it's it's also interesting because um, it's kind of um, it's kind of what you get with uh, environmentalism, at least like in the mainstream culture in this country, where there's this sincere belief that if you were just to get a Mustang, which got a hundred miles a gallon, it would go so far towards solving environmental apocalypse, like. Absolutely. And I know this is shocking for a guy who worked in Silicon Valley selling software, but absolutely no understanding whatsoever of the cultural and structural problems that have gotten us to this point of, you know, uh, on the verge of an environmental apocalypse. It's is, all, it all boils down to consumer choices. Like you get a hot girl who uh, <laughs> wears Victoria's Secret lingerie or bikinis or lingeries um, whatever I yes. yeah <laughs> you don't seem to and get the then, plural version right yeah and then you drive a hybrid car and then the birds will stop being mad at us <laughs> it's yeah jen that is asking a lot of a guy who doesn't really of a filmmaker who doesn't really even understand filmmaking i mean you're right um yeah. but i'm still going to point it out because yeah yeah. One of the, um, I didn't get a chance to chime in earlier, one of the lines that I <laughs> like most from Birdemic, because it, it comes across so naturally, is, um, and let's put aside for a moment the ridiculousness of the uh, setting, which is um, uh, Rod and Natalie and those two kids that they rescue or abduct. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, they need, to, <laughs> they need to stop and get some gas, uh, and, um, and I guess, like, it's, it's kind of an apocalypse, because... Um, we'd seen earlier that there's like food rationing and like shelves are empty and um, there's no uh, <laughs> and the non-empty ones are blurred out. Uh, yeah, the names. So <laughs> yeah, all the food is blurred, so you can't you can't you don't even know what you're buying. Um, and but still, you can buy gasoline and pay for it with a credit card. So there's some <laughs> infrastructure that's still working. Um, but when Rod goes to buy gas from the guy and he's like, is, is because of the bird attack, he's $100. All phones from the eagle attack, all phones are... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and it's Rod's reaction to that that is so naturalistic where he just kind of mutters, what a ripoff. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, the actor given, improvised that. Yeah, just like given given everything that they've experienced today of right. uh, people's yes. eyes being pecked out and two like orphans. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, two orphans, a massacre by the side of the road, just shooting birds out of the earth and assault rifle. And it's like being ripped off of the pump again. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, um, Damn it. Yeah, it's just like this day could not get any worse. I got like I got, I have a real galaxy brain uh, reading of the uh, the um, the bird apocalypse in Birdemic. Um, okay, if you could frame it that um, you know there's this there's obviously this massive environmental crisis going on in which nature has turned against mankind, mm. but people. Most people appear to be going about their day in spite of assault weapon fire. Um, oh, yeah. Corpses by the side of the road. Um, could this not be a an extremely subtle satire of our current culture? That could is, this that... not be? Yes, it could not. Uh, there is no... <laughs> There's no possible no, I, way for it. <laughs> I mean, it is it is it is 100% not. Um that is not what is fucking going on in Birdemic. But um if you if you kind of take that reading of it, it's um it's kind of it, it's kind of interesting. I'm just saying. That's, yeah, yeah, that's We'll do that's your like, own uh you can do your own uh, room 237 interpretation of the, this is how uh <laughs> this is how James Wynn admitted to uh faking 911 or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's all inside. I mean, 
It's if, an inside um, job. Yeah, like if <laughs> James Wen did 9-11. Well, um, yeah, I mean, if you consider uh, CGI of something mm-hmm. that flies and runs into, like, I mean, when the bird hits the gas pump, bursts into flames, I mean, that's like, that's a signed confession right there. <laughs> I don't I don't remember if I sent it to you or not Tim but there was one uh there was one it, it seemed like an email interview with James Nguyen from the syntax but um yeah. they asked him if there was something that he wanted he perhaps wanted to do over with one of his films and I believe he said that he would like the birds in Birdemic to be a little more realistic <laughs> <laughs> and it's like well my man if you I mean forget like paying an animator a hundred dollars to you know do you know, the bird animation in your movie, like, you know, pay the guy at all, you know, you might get some better birds instead of just, um, you know, animated GIFs or whatever. But I mean, we're got to be approaching, I mean, God forbid, but like sometime this decade, we'll hit the 20th anniversary and maybe we can hold out hope that we get a, a Lucas-esque uh, special edition because that would be, if he, if he went back and decided that was what the problem was, that would delight me. Yeah, we need, <laughs> we need more worse uh, worse, more invasive CGI. That's what this movie is missing. I don't know. Like, just fucking put Sebulba in there. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> it can't make it any worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's no way to... I mean, you know, Rod and Jar Jar, they're lateral moves. Anakin Skywalker is a, is a force ghost, you know, played by uh, Hayden Christensen instead of Sebastian Shaw. Who gives a fuck? Just fucking just shove it all in there. Who gives a shit? Ooh. Still there, Tim? Yeah, yeah, no, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's what these movies do to people. It's like, yeah, like revisiting these, like, melted in my brain. Well, you know, they can use some of that CGI to maybe CGI out some of the other cars and actually add some environmental impact to what's going on. Because it's, it's a movie that builds itself as an apocalypse, and yet it really just seems like an inconvenient afternoon for two couples. (laughs) <laughs> or you could um you could use CG to turn um Rod and Natalie into uh Cary Grant and Ava Marie Saint. That would be cool. Or you yeah, could just yeah. do a uh, CGI of the uh dump that Becky left behind when she uh when she was <laughs> when she met her horrible fate. She's taking a shit. I can't believe they yeah, I can't believe they cut that out. Like it's, it's it ended up on the cutting room floor. They'll put in the extended version. And again, what again, a, what a, what a dignified moment too to put in your movie. It's amazing. Well, uh, I think a boy just like enjoyed being able to swear. <laughs> well, um, Galaxy Brain, another Galaxy Brain take on that moment in Birdemic. Um, it's it's actually a very salient point about man's relation to the Earth. You know, mm-hmm, we can mm-hmm, remove mm-hmm. ourselves with uh, 100 MPG Mustangs, but you know, the fact is that we're still going to have to take shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all Becky at some point in time. You still live on this. <laughs> Everyone earth, is you know. Becky. Yeah. And and I want to add, too, that that situation could have been easily avoided because I noticed that they've been harassed by uh, flying predators this entire morning. It's it's really ruined their day. Um, And then after they stop and get supplies, they go out for a picnic in just an open area. (laughs) Like, I don't I'm not quite sure I understand the strategy there. Yeah, I mean, all these things in these movies, if you ever wanted to, uh, to you know, hand wave something like that away, you have to be like, I've noticed that the birds aren't attacking within 500 feet of the ocean. And then, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but you can say that. And then all of a sudden, sure, now we can have a picnic. But, you know, you don't even bother because he doesn't, uh, he's not even that aware of his own universe in these movies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that if you, um, 
you know, if you read uh, Nguyen's romantic thrillers as uh, accounts of developmentally disabled people forming a romance, like it makes a little more sense. But yeah, if you try and think of like if you cross like life goes on with the birds, <laughs> like I think that's probably what. Yeah, but the guy who played Corky was actually a good actor, unlike all the people in James Yeah, Wynn and films. I'm sure he works for money, too, so he's already, that disqualifies <laughs> him from James Wynn. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about Birdemic. Um, I would, I think it would be fun to talk a little bit about um, Nguyen's first feature, uh, julian jack um right. but i want to i want to kick it over to tim because like i could have a lot to say about um it's kind of like idiotic you go girl coder message but um tim what were your impressions like revisiting us and I, I would also like to hear from connor like your impressions of uh you know once you guys got a hold of it in the riff tracks office right yeah, well sure. well one thing that i, I do want to one final thought that I want to say about Birdemic, though, is that they end up, you know, living off the land, um, you know, boiling seaweed and fishing. But uh, I'm saying that you know, they they seem to have made peace with birds. But if they're still sustaining themselves from the ocean, does that mean like a fish demic can't be far off? I mean, they're they're killing all sorts of animal life, uh, like aquatic animal life, such as seals. Yeah, I think it's just, it's just it's harder for them to. Uh, it's harder for those fish to <laughs> to to get you when uh, when you're not in their uh, in the in their water. Yeah. God, but you just you just know that these people would be too stupid to stay out of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they're like a when turkeys drown in the rain. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but yeah, moving on to uh, Julian Jack. Um, I, I'm not sure what the you go girl message is uh, about the uh, the lady coder about you know is is it a parable about women in STEM you know fields being erased because you know this woman's like a, a dead figment of the uh, 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 just sort of a, a ghost in the machine at this point or or where are we going with this? Well, because there's um uh, there are some kind of ham fisted nods to as you mentioned like women in stem there is a direct evocation of uh Ada oh ada lovelace yeah geez um we kind of we rev- we end up reviewing uh julie's illustrious career in computer science like while uh jack is is searching for information about her i mean and but it being a, a nguyen film it's like there really isn't much to it apart from like Girls yeah. can code too. Yeah, we're we're just really hit over the head with the Ada Lovelace thing, where it's just like a woman programmer. What? Yeah, yeah. It's been a uh, it's been a a helpful thing every time her name has come up in a crossword, and that is about the only positive thing I can say about that. <laughs> were you guys delighted when you first uh, screened it for uh, Rift Tracks purposes, Connor? <laughs> oh man. I don't, I don't I don't exactly remember the first time we did it but yeah once you once you put it in and and all the all the things that happen all the the minor things we love such as the stock options the promotion the software sales I think there was an angry boss in this one too which is always a fun uh, a fun trope that we enjoy it just to uh, to sort of see that happen with uh, you know different actors in a slightly different setting was was very <laughs> delightful I mean um, when we when we sort of screen movies to see if they're gonna work a lot of them is sort of sitting through 
garbage that isn't fun garbage and, and debating when you can pull the plug on it. But uh, when, when, when stuff like this happens that is such a strange uh, view of the world and, and strange, uh, you know, the way it manifests in these movies uh, is it, about the, my favorite thing ever. Same thing when we first got our hands on Replica. We waited to watch that one uh, in person in Nashville, and that was another delightful experience just to sort of uh, see these things for the first time. <laughs> Yeah, because he he is very much an auteur in a negative way in that, yeah, he has a particular uh, view of the world and he does re- return to certain tropes and has ways of expressing them. So, Well, and I would argue that James Nguyen is actually one of the only true auteurs because filmmaking being such a collaborative medium, certainly like a director um, will, um, you know, uh, dictate the the broader themes and whatnot of a movie but there are so many other people like putting their hands in that i think you know rightly like auteur theory has become somewhat deprecated in the years since it was first introduced um james nguyen is his own crew oh yeah um, it's a hundred percent there's no studio notes there's no you know cinematographer or anything this is what this is what happens when you actually get one man's vision and it's a and it's a lunatic yes. it's not a good result <laughs> Yes. So, so we basically um, ruined auteur theory at this point. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the crew uh, names on in you know the credits to his movies are are I believe are pseudonyms for James Nguyen. Right, and his brother I believe shows up in Replica. I think he's the cop that shows up um, to, to oh, tell him that the God. woman died. Okay, uh, that explains so much. <laughs> oh my God! Exactly. David Nguyen, I think. So, yeah. So yeah, that was uh, <laughs> you know well <laughs> I mean, makes more sense once you once those pieces start to fall into place. I do have to say that is a pretty uh, big assumption that two Nguyen's are related. Yeah. Not in not in a James not in a James Wynn movie. Right. <laughs> not not when he delivers the lines that he the way that he did. Oh my I god! Did like yeah. When, um, I put a just briefly like I put a little a reminder into my phone. Um, you know that we were going to be doing this James Nguyen episode, and um, the and Siri spelled it correctly in the reminders, but she said Nguyen when she read it back to me. Wow. Good so, effort. Good effort. Siri's a racist bitch. <laughs> well, like how she also call like uh, Playa del Rey, Playa del Rey. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So she's she's well, Siri's from the street, and you know, <laughs> she, she ran with a gang back in the '90s, back when she was being coded in Ada um, by uh, <laughs> NCT Software or whoever by Lady Renegade. Lady Renegade. <laughs> Wow, that's right, Julie's yeah. uh, Julie's screen name. Yeah, her, her like ICQ name. Yeah, like it really just sounds like she's into Lorenzo Lamas from that screen name, which is funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, the really um, before we forget, I know that I said earlier that there really isn't um, an interesting psychosexual dimension to uh, Noen's films, apart from the moment in the um, in. Uh, replica when we discover that for whatever reason um they did a rape kit on a car crash victim <laughs> <laughs> like that is a really bad car crash <laughs> it was a really bad car crash it's, it's, the, uh, it's one of the worst car crashes i've ever seen like two golf carts approaching each other on a uh, slight inclines not even rolling towards each other yeah yeah, yeah we, it's I like mean, yeah we we'll, we'll do the car crash in the edit yeah, yeah, we i think that was the... a legitimate spit spit take when he uh when he revealed that and we watched it for the first time <laughs> Yeah, like uh, we weren't going to do anything, but um, you know, they're the on impact. Like all the cum just leaked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would it seem is, stupid not to. Like it's it a really such, slow day at the station. <laughs> it is such a record scratch moment 
in a movie that is full of them. Yeah, and I have to admire the the boldness that Nguyen had of hiring a a non-actor of color uh, (laughs) to to portray the detective because, man, this guy does not belong in front of a camera. So I would put James Nguyen in the same tradition as, oh, say, a a John Cameron Mitchell or a, a Crispin Glover. Okay. You know, in, in his uh, hiring of uh, unconventional actors. Okay, so you're saying they aren't good. They they all, all also are not good directors. I'm saying I chew lead paint chips. <laughs> okay, that makes sense, yeah. My favorite <laughs> replica moment that it, it just happens in the last probably 10 minutes, I think, where just they, they go and they meet the guy who's a who's an environmentalist in Birdemic, and he's now a evil doctor, Dr. G., but uh, in the midst of revealing his cloning scheme, he also reveals that he has his own vineyard and is producing his product called G-Wine, which is just, it's the sort of thing that, again, when you're, if you were setting out to do a, to do a bad movie, uh, unintentionally, you know, like a, an asylum movie, that, something like that would never cross your mind. It's just, uh, that's what makes the, uh, that's what makes the, the real ones good at what they do. Um, yeah, that's like that procedurally generated script that you're talking about exactly, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, and also, by the way, I'm, I'm, clon- I'm making illegal clones of celebrities and I'm starting a vineyard. <laughs> oh, man, the guy you, you was... to diversify. <laughs> the guy was making deep fakes before they were even a thing. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. visionary. Um, Super deep fakes, yeah. Like, it's kind of like Natalie's mom just uh, saying, and I also like to watch television. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you for that critical bit of character detail. Like, this really adds texture. It, right, it'll come yeah. up later, yeah, when Natalie's mom will reveal something that she saw on television that'll blow the case <laughs> wide open. Right, otherwise you would have no idea whether she was honest about that. <laughs> I also I also love that she says that she likes to cruise, which... Yeah. Um, it's uh, that could either be like in the uh, American yeah. graffiti drag strip sense, or in the um, Al Pacino and cruising sense. In my <laughs> mind, anyway. I I think that is one hundred percent the way she intended it. Yes. <laughs> it's Natalie's mom loves precinct night. Right. <laughs> One of the things that I also love about uh, Replica is, you know, speaking of uh, overused CGI and uh, and George Lucas and you know ruining things that are just fine, there's a uh, preponderance of virtual sets in Replica that are My also God. not used to good effect. <laughs> oh, and this this ties in with our discussion of digital backlots in the Immortal episode. Um, right? Yeah, and and they, I they suck. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> Stop well, doing them. <laughs> I know I'm coming at it from the end, but um, the the last scene is of um, uh, Claudia and our bland protagonist and Dr. G going to the cloning vat. We can see they're really just walking in place because they have nowhere to go. <laughs> so they're just doing this pantomime, just, you know, you know, walking, but not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah it's like the amazing bulk. Yeah, it yeah. just is. It was stunning to me that whatever whatever system he used to do this, it did not still like leave the 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 watermark on um, from him not <laughs> registering it or paying the uh, paying the fee to remove it because that's how bad it looks. Like we one time had a you know had a system in our office that was a I think it was called a TriCaster, and the idea was yeah. to try and do some live broadcast that would be web streamed um you know before i think maybe even before we started doing live shows in the theater and that came with its own sort of suite of you know virtual sets that would you know if you were doing like a, a daily show type of thing it would it would get you that and they all were just you know they were neat 
um, but they were the sort of thing that just uh, we had no use for. But in the in the in the time we spent, you know, messing around with them, you, you know, turn on reflections, turn on this type of thing, and they all just looked bad enough that it would distract you from anything. But that didn't stop James Wynn. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Distracting terrible sets, like load them up. That's exactly what I need of, of, yeah. of stuff that you could probably, you know, replicate in real life if you needed to. <laughs> and that he, I think, had no understanding of, like, video resolution as well, because he starts with some really extreme close-ups of things that are supposed to be minor background elements. Mm-hmm. And just like, oh, this blurry kind of red smudge. Yeah. Like, oh, that's... That's the cloned realistic heart in a vat or a kidney <laughs> or something. It's like, well, hey, James, if you say so. Like, right. all, all the graphics in this, like, they're, it's like. Uh, it's like when like you got up too close to a sprite in Doom and it just, yeah. uh, you can see the uh, the individual pixels are about the size of your <laughs> your thumb or something. Yeah, it, it's, like a, it's like a CD-ROM game that you buy at the grocery store or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the way that, um. Uh, you know the way that that he got this um, sort of uh, Sims character to masquerade as a, a brilliant doctor in his movie. <laughs> Again, that's asking a lot of the the actress to. I mean, I don't think since like Christmas Jones have we seen a more unconvincing portrayal of <laughs> a pretty doctor. I guess. Yeah, she one hundred percent does not understand what she's saying. <laughs> um. Uh, Connor, apart from, um, just jumping off from that, apart from your experience with uh, Rift Tracks, um, do you have much experience with uh, film or, or video production? I know that you're a, a quite an accomplished writer, but... I, you know, not, not necessarily in a uh, professional um, context. Uh, my uh, In high school, I went to a high school that required you to take a tech lab your senior year. It was a science and technology high school, which I was not interested in, but they had a video tech lab. Um, so you got to, you know, make movies while other people were, you know, sequencing genomes and, uh, <laughs> you know, building, uh, building realistic robotics and stuff like that. So, uh, that was where I sort of learned to, uh, edit, but I went to high school long enough that like we were using, uh, we had one nonlinear editor as they called them. And, uh, we had to edit the movie at a friend's house whose mom had bought him a computer that could run Adobe Premiere. So, um, fancy. But that's been my uh, in terms of in terms of making my own stuff. It's been uh, much more uh, criticizing other people's efforts than it has been uh, doing doing my own uh, video production these days. Ah, uh, but it's so much more satisfying and less work. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like. Maligning other people's hard work is uh, <laughs> is, is definitely a, a source of joy. Um, but have you found? Um, and I think uh, this has been mine and Tim's experience. Um. Has your time at Rift Tracks like taught you a lot about filmmaking? Because certainly for me, um, particularly Mystery Science Theater, I think in some ways taught me way more uh, about making good movies than even my experience at the UCLA Film School, which is a very well-regarded film yeah. school. Um, has that been your experience? I think that you, uh, yeah, you certainly once you once you see things over and over again in these in these movies or books, uh, you definitely would would learn lessons such as you don't need to show a car, you know, pulling out of a driveway, uh, you know, shifting out of reverse into forward, like pulling out of frame, like it just is. Those type of things are are what you I think learn. You don't need to see. Like I think you would learn that if you were. Uh, um, you know, on minute three of two characters, uh, you know, sitting and having a conversation, it might be time to, to to switch the viewpoint or to end the scene or to introduce some sort of more dynamic element into it. 
Um, and it's yeah, it's been the same same way with the books that we've read on on three seventy two. You just you 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 start to notice stuff that irritates you, um, and hopefully internalize that when you move into uh, into your own writing or filmmaking. I guess some of that stuff is happens enough that it must be irresistible for for bad filmmakers and authors to do. But uh, <laughs> you'd think that you might be like, wait a second, like why are the hairs on my neck standing up? Am I am I showing a character pulling into traffic? Oh God, damn it! Like <laughs> I, I need to I need to cut before this. Um, but I think maybe we can, um, I don't know, maybe I can, uh, make a hard U-turn back into, to James Nguyen. Um, I, just the fact that, um. Yeah, let's talk about Soul Pounds or a good Vietnamese restaurant. Or <laughs> 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 calls. Um, well, just the fact that, you know, um, because we've talked about like, um, kind of like the peddling of like 80s nostalgia culture, um. I mean, you have James Nguyen's, like, really weird, intense fixation on Hitchcock and kind of replicating Hitchcock without really understanding what makes him so durable. Um, I, I believe it is just an egotistical uh, choice of the director, which is to say, if I ape all the uh, actions of the greatest director ever, then I, mm-hmm. too, become a great director. But it's without well, any of the the nuance or understanding that makes these directors great in the first place. Well, yeah, and it kind of, um, it kind of mirrors his approach to romance and sexuality and, um, salesmanship where it's like, you know, if you just like go into the office every day and you make the cold calls, like eventually you'll make a million dollar deal. You know, if you take the girl to a nice restaurant and you don't fuck her on the first date, um, and you don't treat her like your bro friend, like you'll, You'll instantly that, that's, get that's like, really romance. Great romance. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, other well, than that, it's sorted. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> and and yeah, I think that Jen, you were trying to um, uh, address one of the things in Julian Jack because that is about a uh, not a software salesman. It's a completely different field. He sells uh, computer chips. So. Again, this is a much different character from the one we've seen before. Um, so, like, he he sells computer chips, and so we get a lot of the minutiae about being a su- successful salesman and, uh, you know, working in Silicon Valley. And um, then there's there's some stuff about, um, what's her name, uh, Romanov's uh, computer programming background. And I just got to say, like, none of these topics are interesting. And I say that no. as a person who writes software for a living, like no one cares to hear about these sort of things. These are not interesting topics to to base your movie around. No, well, not and also, at all. <laughs> yeah. So, well, not to mention the way that um, it, it's the sort of driving and parking of subjects. Yeah, and the way that James Nguyen structures a film, um, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Like he, you know, I feel like he kind of made his passion project with Birdemic, you know, because obviously, like I think he feels really passionately about the environmental themes. He felt like he was making a really important statement. Um, I think he might have collaborated on the storylines of uh, Julian Jack and Replica. I would have I would have to verify that, and uh, maybe I'm merely asserting it because those actually sort of have stories. Um, like okay. Julian Jack is it starts with a very bland romance, but then it kind of goes into this uh mystery about you know the identity of this woman that Jack is dating um 
Replica is kind of like a, you know, I mean, it's it's Vertigo. It's a rip for, off of Vertigo, yeah. It's Vertigo for idiots, basically. But yes, there is a story there. Um, with Birdemic, you have a completely conflict free. You have a completely conflict. Goddamn. <laughs> you have a completely conflict free romance that plays out for about an hour until, oh shit, the birds are attacking. Yeah. Jen, I don't know why you bothered re saying that. You could just say a conflict free romance and yeah, yeah. james what james went to be like cut perfect yeah exactly <laughs> print yeah print <laughs> there isn't a fluffed line that james nguyen doesn't love i tell you <laughs> like yeah like i don't know like if he just doesn't have if he doesn't if he doesn't do more than one take or if like you know just like it is so difficult to capture that magic again or, yeah, I don't know. This, There's never been a blooper reel on the uh, on the James Wynn DVDs. So oh, maybe this, it's because they can only shoot once before you know security is going to say you know exactly. sure you have to leave. <laughs> you can't just shoot outside our uh, tech company every day. Well, I feel like a blooper reel would um, indicate a sense of humor, which he does not appear to have. Right. It's because he's a you know a all caps like serious director. He is yeah. very sin- and that's I think a commonality amongst a lot of bad directors is just how sincere they are. And yeah, James Wen I think you know believes that he is making Hitchcock level movies, but he just has no clue how wide of the mark he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's accurate. Or, I think that yeah, any sort of self awareness in the second movie I think was probably uh, given by uh, by the producers who were probably hoping to get another midnight movie on their hands, but. Uh, Mm. <laughs> didn't know how to do it yeah yeah uh, and you could um that's another thing is like um you know approaching these movies um you know and a lot of times you wonder i don't connor i don't know how you feel about it but um sometimes when you approach movies like this uh there is a little bit of of guilt when you're like you know am i just being like really hard on this person who tried their best but you know, it isn't just his lack of self-awareness. It's just his, like, unethical practices in making the films themselves. Yeah, where... I mean, it's, uh, you know, you don't want to be too, you know, on things people can't control, which is, I think, a lesson we've learned, you know, it, it, it t- took some time um, <laughs> and just to, just to you know, do that. But uh, as I think Mike has said it before, use the analogy, it's like if you went to a restaurant and someone served you an, you know, a... a pile of dog shit and it wasn't even warm you would you wouldn't have to be like he tried his best you'd be like well i, pay, I paid him and he was he's unable to do the thing he set out to do so at some point in time you're you can't just uh you know you you can't do the everyone gets a ribbon type of thing when it comes to movie making you know you you can't pretend that things such as quality in in any you know aesthetic mm-hmm. or uh storytelling or anything like that don't exist because it does a disservice to the things that are good in order to bring when you bring uh bring garbage up to their level so i don't uh, i don't have any qualms about that um because you know i, I don't yeah, think you should you know so yeah and um i think um i've seen people uh malign mike for um you know he he took a like he was head writer on uh, mystery science theater for many years like including during the 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 joel era but then he kind of took over and when he stepped into the hosting duties like kind of became like the face of mst and i think with um the sci-fi channel episodes which are the, you know the final three seasons of mystery science theater on cable and the uh riff tracks era writing like i've seen him be dinged for um his jokes being more cruel than the than the joel era 
But I think people are missing like the times when Joel, in fact, did go for the jugular with his jokes in that era of mystery science theater. Um, I don't know. That's just that's just a feeling I have from being like such a massive like riff tracks and, and MST fan. Like Tim, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, how you feel comedy about ain't the... pretty. <laughs> I think if you want to find a narrative, you'll be able to find you know data points to support it, no matter what it is for the most part. So right. that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, with, you uh, could even maybe connect the dots so that you can say that James Wen's you know, movies are intentionally you know, like the way they are, as you know, befitting some some grander scheme. I don't know how you guys feel about the. Um, you know, just like, well, I know how Tim feels about uh, shitty movies in particular, considering how much time he spends watching B-movie TV. Um, yeah. But um, I have found in my experience that the movies that I keep returning to in spite of their uh, ineptitude are the ones that are very sincerely inept. And I think that's that's true of uh, certainly true of James Nguyen's work. It's like, wow, he really thinks that he's making a good movie. Like there's no there's no wink or nod to the audience whatsoever. Yeah, and and the thing that I take away from it too is something that I, I'm sure I've said before is that the great thing about an artless movie is that it tells you more about the people making it than it does about the characters in it. So mm-hmm. really, you can get a sense of you know what James Wen's values are um, from the movies he makes more than you know what the the stories that he's trying to tell you, and you know that he is a um, Artless, um, aspirational um, yep, film yep, maker of serious films uh, that deal with important issues like you know environmentalism, and he, I believe that he thinks that he is you know working at the level of Hitchcock, or at least that's what he aspires to. But he just falls so short of the mark because of his like lack of understanding of so many of these things that you know he just. Like like we said, he he gets it at like a third grade level where it's like this is the idea of success, this is the idea of romance, and and just that they are lacking in any kind of uh, nuanced meaning to the point that you know you watch them and you're just like, what is this garbage? Yeah, I don't think that there's a uh, it, and if any of those things are incorrect, uh, again, he's done a <laughs> uh, a terrible job of conveying that to the audience. So. <laughs> I agree. I mean, uh, I I certainly hope that people will take the environmental message of Birdemic to heart. But yeah, that's that's why I drive a muscle car that is a plug-in hybrid and gets 100 mpg. Well, that's that why was... I put on a bad wig and moved to a treehouse. Yeah, oh yeah, we, yeah. We kind of buried the lead by not uh, including that guy, um, <laughs> the the tree hugger in a bad wig. It's a uh, again, you know, if you were if you're trying to fake that, you would not uh, you would you would not be able to do something that way because you'd 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 make it even more ridiculous or you'd you'd um, it just it's the, that sort of touch, that surreal uh, vision of how humans interact with each other is, is what makes it so entertaining. Yeah. Even the idea of like what a bad movie is, is still, you know, fairly, you know, narrowly defined. And then to to, yeah, just go and think outside the box like that in terms of like. You know, these are these are known good ideas for making movies and these are known bad ideas for making movies. But let's try something that is so just like off the mark. And, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. That's, that's how you get things like this. <laughs> yeah, uh, like that that wig was a deliberate choice. And, and like, like so many other things in the movie, they're like, <laughs> you know, the director looked at it and was like, yeah, that that reads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
At some point, the actors might have just tried to start like, you know, let, I'm going to do this and see if he cares, you know, type of thing. Like, because at some point, I think they were on to what was happening. But uh, yeah, that 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 that's how you, you know, again, take the simplest explanation, and it's probably going to be the correct one on that set. So it's yeah. probably a prank that the actor was like, well, no way is he going to use that take? Like, he's letting me do this? Oh my god, I made it into the movie, <laughs> and now it's canon. Um, I just want I I did want to mention the hanging out with my family guy who appears oh my in God. two of the three uh, <laughs> films. Um, he does play a pretty significant part in Julian Jack in that he counsels our lunk-headed hero about spiritual love. Um, yeah, and that it's I'm, okay I'm, to fall in love with a dead computer woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I love it because like his um his counseling of Jack is really based on him like not knowing the whole story. I, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't remember the specifics of that, but again, I was utterly delighted when that showed up. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it it does show up from out of nowhere because it is just Jack. Like he sees a church and he walks into it, <laughs> and just like, okay, <laughs> I guess we're here now. Well, I'm sure that that Nguyen's understanding of uh, spirituality and theology is about as deep as his understanding of the work of Hitchcock. So, yeah, I want to yeah. know what the hanging out with your family guy like needs so badly that he will allow himself to be cast in James Wen movies. Like, is it's he like exposure. trying to get his career off the ground? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for, for, for those guys, I'm sure it was, you know, do you want to be in a movie? It's going to take an hour, like, you know, type of thing. And uh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll run your, your music on it. So yeah, great exposure. But I don't know, like, you know, the, the, the vein of all these characters and stuff, like I was just working on a movie today and there was a, sad looking girl dancing by herself so i had her sort of sob singing hanging out with my family and it just is a, <laughs> it's been the, the gift that keeps on giving for these uh, for these movies just to just to come back to them again and again i well, guess you could say banger. yeah i guess you could say for the people acting in these movies it is a win win situation <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. again i i regret not ending the conversation when i did with ernest klein uh, it's, it's over for real now <laughs> God damn it, Tim! <laughs> That's this is this is why it's so hard to get return guests. Uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, Connor, it was great having you on, and thanks so much for exploring the James Wenniverse uh, with oh, us. Oh, it is a it is a treat. Like I said, they are the the some of the movies we do and I enjoy, but then we we never really come back to them. Like we we could have talked about Future Force, like you suggested, and but these are ones that just you know we somehow they they find their way back into our lives every you know every month or so. We find ourselves talking about Birdemic or Julian Jack or one of them. So it's, yeah. it's always a treat to 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 spread them. You know who knows how many of your, of your listeners will even have uh, have checked them out. So it'll be a good opportunity to indoctrinate more people. Yeah, yeah, yes. and also uh, your boy David Giancola from Vermont. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so true, like another this. true auteur, but yeah. he actually has a crew, I think. So, um, you know, respect. That yeah, um, more legit. <laughs> uh, Connor, obviously, um, you know, people should go to rifttracks.com uh, for some of your work. But um, is there anything else that you would like to plug? Absolutely, yeah. We talked about three seventy-two pages, so do check that out at three seventy-two pages.com. We're reading an amazing book now called Moon People. Uh, which is a uh, it, sounds it's, it's, tight. It, yeah, it's it's in the same it's in the same uh, vein as as these, uh, you know, it's a self published book by some guy who had no business uh, reading a book, let alone writing one. And uh, yeah, if you uh, we did a a audio book of a book I wrote last year called the Pole Vault Championship at the Entire Universe that um, 
a lot of funny people lent their voices to, like uh, Weird Al and Paul F. Tompkins and Janet nice. Varney and the Rift Tracks guys. So it's on Audible and Amazon, and I'm really proud of that if people want to check that out. It's a fun tale. Listen to it on your next long drive or something. Great. Thank you so much, Connor. Cool. Yeah. 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 This has been a real yeah, treat. Right. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, Thanks really so much. appreciate it. Mm-hmm.